and welcome to another edition of the Read More Podcast, the show that brings readers and writers together. I'm Marva Hinton. Our guest today is Chitra Duvakaruni. Her latest novel, Before We Visit the Goddess, was just published this spring to critical acclaim. It's book number 16 for her. You can find out how to win a free signed copy of Before We Visit the Goddess on our website, readmorepodcast.com. We have copies for two lucky listeners. And if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Chitra, thank you so much for joining us today. It is my pleasure, absolutely. Before We Visit the Goddess is about three generations of women in one family, and it spans the globe from a tiny village in India to Houston, Texas. It also skips around a lot in time, going from the early 60s to the year 2020. There's the grandmother, Sabitri, her daughter, Bella, and Bella's daughter, Tara. At some point, the women become estranged from each other, and they're all facing feelings of isolation and wonder where they fit in, you know, whether it's dealing with issues of class or culture or just their place in the world as women. Shabitri is growing up in a small village in India. She desperately wants an education, and a wealthy patron makes that possible for her before there's a misunderstanding that just snatches that opportunity away. She later creates a successful business based on her ability to make desserts. Bella takes off for the U.S. to marry Sanjay, a man her mom disapproves of. When her marriage dissolves, she's adrift for a while until she starts a business based on her love of cooking. And Tara stops communicating with both of her parents for several years after they break up, and it takes some time for her to sort of get herself together again and come to appreciate her mom and her grandmom. What was really interesting to me about this book was the structure of it. Uh, as I was reading, I thought, wow, you're really doing some neat things with form and time and points of view. The chapters involving Shabitri and Bella are in third per- person, and the chapters involving Tara are in first person. So, but through it all, I mean, there's this single narrative arc that is very easy to follow. After I finished reading the book, I was just doing some research then and I I came across an interview that you did where you described this as a novel in stories. And at that point I was really blown away because I had not realized that as I was reading it. I mean, it really felt like a traditional novel. Um, How is it that you came to write it this way? Well, I've been reading some books that I've really enjoyed and one of them is Louise Erdrich's Love Medicine which is also a novel in stories and so I was very much in love with that form and with this novel particularly it seemed to me that this is how I wanted to tell it because it is a story of fragmented lives and it is a story that I've um, kind of imagined in emotional time not in chronological time but in the time that we remember in our memories the important moments and everything else just falls away. And I wanted to write a book that would leap from one emotional moment to another. And that's what became Before We Visit the Goddess. Well, there are so many interesting parallels between these women. I mean, we see 
Shabitri and Bella both leave school because of the men in their lives. And Tara does too in her own way. Uh, Shabitri and Bella both sort of reinvent themselves through their culinary skills. And in many ways, there's this distance between them, but they can't escape the things that bind them together. They all you know, yearn for their moms when they are seriously ill or when they're just at their most vulnerable. What is it about this mother-daughter relationship that intrigues you so much? Because it's, you've written about it, you know, more than once. That's true. But I think in, before we visit the goddess, this bond is particularly resonant for me because my own mother passed away a few years back. So I've really been thinking about this. This is, in fact, you know, the earliest relationship in a woman's life. It begins before she's actually born on this earth because I think it begins when she's inside the mother. And there's so much that we carry on from our mothers, both willingly and unwillingly. I've been thinking a lot about heritage as well as I was writing this book because I have children now, they're in their early 20s. And I've been thinking about what it is that we pass on to our children. So all of that came together in Before We Visit the Goddess. What's really interesting is um, what one reviewer wrote about the book. And she said, you know, right in the first paragraph, I have a storm coming into the village where Shabitri has now retired. She's living all by herself. And she hears the jackals uh, crying. You know, they are kind of making this noise in the wilderness and in the rain. And she says, oh, it's blood memory. They remember their wilder ancestors. And the this reviewer said, oh, you know, this book is about blood memory, what we pass on from generation to generation, sometimes not even knowing it. And I had not consciously thought of it, but when she pointed it out, I thought, that's what this book is about. Well, how did you decide on the title? I mean, did it come to you right away because the actual mention of the goddess in the text is so brief. Yes, and that that doesn't even appear until the middle of the book where one of the stories is about a visit to the temple of the goddess, which is an actual temple in Houston. It's called the temple of the goddess Minakshi. And um, this, this title took me a long time to find. And with some of my books, such as The Mistress of Spices, you know, the very first sentence of that book was, I am a mistress of spices. And as soon as I wrote that first sentence, there was a resonance. I said, this is what this novel is going to be called. But this novel, I finished the whole novel. And, you know, there are nine stories which make up the novel. And each one has its title. And I was like, which title, which title? And then my agent and I finally discussed and came up with this title because I think there's a thematic resonance with this title, as in before we visit the goddess, before we can be in touch with the divine in ourselves, some things have to happen in our lives. We have to learn compassion, we have to learn forgiveness, sometimes of other people, sometimes of ourselves, and all three women go through this difficult journey. And I think in some ways, 
certainly myself as a writer, I go through this journey, and I think many readers will as well. Well, throughout the novel, we see the three main characters touching on various proverbs and familiar sayings. And the one you return to again and again is, good daughters are fortunate lamps brightening the family's name. Wicked daughters are firebrands blackening the family's name. How do you see this pressure even of, a, of something like that uh, playing out into each of these characters to feel like they have to always represent the family well, like so much is on their shoulders? Yes, and this was a saying that I had grown up with in India myself, and I had felt the pressure of it. And, you know, there wasn't really a corresponding proverb about the men in the house. It was always the women. And I wanted to, this whole book is set around proverbs, so I'm so glad that you picked up on that, because we are, I think, shaped by sayings. The sayings that we grow up with do shape us, sometimes on a level that's not even logical. It, it kind of goes deep into our psyche. So I think the women in this book have all felt that pressure that they have to be in some ways perfect, that they cannot stray from the path that is determined for them. But of course, as you know, all three of these women will fall off that path and finally they will have to choose a path for themselves. Well, as you were saying, I mean, you were born in India and now for many years you've called Houston home. Is it easy for you to go about writing about your home country to writing about your adopted home? Because your characters make that journey. Um, and for you to take your readers on that journey as well. It feels very seamless. And I think now I've written a number of books that chance, that move transatlantically from India to America and back again. I think I'm very familiar with that movement in my life and in the lives of many friends. Immigration has been at the heart of my writing right from my first book of stories, Arranged Marriage. So I feel very comfortable. And really for me now, India is home and America is home. I feel comfortable in both. I always feel a little out of place in both, which probably for a writer is a good thing uh, because it keeps you on the outside and it keeps you watching. So uh, I felt very comfortable in Before We Visit the Goddess because this book, more than any other book, follows the exact geographical trajectory of my own life, moving from Kolkata to the wilds of Assam, then to California, and then to Houston, where I now live. Well, do you feel any sort of... Um added responsibility to the Indian community or to the Indian American community as a minority writer yourself because you this still is a community that we don't see as much as some others in American fiction so I guess what I'm trying to ask is that is that part of that added pressure that we sort of talked about before that um, girls are made to feel, but just do you feel that as a writer, you know, being of Indian descent? There's always pressure, I think, as a writer, but I don't feel any extra pressure because I decided quite some years back that I need to write the stories I feel strongly about, 
I'm going to write them as honestly and sincerely as I can. I'm going to try and portray America as I know it and all its diversity. Um, I'm going to try to portray it in its complexity, in its diversity, with its wonderful features and its problems. Uh, but I'm not a cultural ambassador for anybody. I can't be. In fact, I think the best compliment I can pay to the Indian American community is to try and write about it as honestly as I know how. One thing that you touch on a lot in this novel is the feeling of being displaced. Um, it's something we see with all three of the main characters. Is that something that you feel is just part of being an immigrant? Because we see that um, with Bella, that she just feels, you know, she misses home and she doesn't quite feel like she belongs in the U.S. Um, do you feel like that is just a part of that story that you have to you have to tell if you're going to tell the story of someone who comes to this country from another country? I think displacement is a reality of the immigrant life. And it's a double displacement because when immigrants go back to their home country, they don't fit in there the way they did before they left. There's a, a saying that I think is true, you can't go home again because you've changed and home has changed and you're just going to have to find <laughs> your special place in the world in a different way. So I think that that is a big theme in my books. And displacement occurs not only via immigration, but because one's home has changed. So Tara doesn't ever go back to India, but once her parents' marriage breaks up, she finds that she can't go home again. So many things cause our sense of displacement in this complex and in some ways fractured contemporary world. Now, there are a few characters who uh, show up here in the novel and they have a big impact and then they sort of disappear. Why did you think it was important to use these characters who are outside of the family to help you tell the story of these three women? I wanted to focus on two kinds of quote-unquote family. One obviously is the blood family and the blood memory that we're talking about, um, the heritage that comes from that kind of family. But my experience has been, and especially I think this is true after one immigrates and one is in a world that one doesn't know. It's a new world. It's a, it's a kind of discombobulating world. Uh, sometimes strangers are the ones we turn to, people that we don't expect. They become a new family for us. Sometimes they're only in our lives for a short while, but they leave a deep imprint. And so we have characters like, you know, Dr. Venkata Chalapati in the story before we visit the goddess. He's only going to be in Tara's life for one day, but I think he's going to have a lasting impact. And there are people like that. I, I, I was very delighted by the unexpected friendship that occurs between Bela, who's actually an alcoholic at this point, and her gay neighbor, her young gay neighbor. You would think at first they have nothing in common, and they do too. At first, that's what they think, but then they discover otherwise, and they become a source of strength for each other. So I really wanted to point out 
um, this kind of friendship, this kind of familial tie that comes out of understanding and love. Okay, well now I would like to just take a few moments and talk about your reading life and how that shaped you as a writer. Uh, here at Read More, we always want to know who writers have been influenced by. Um, what would you say was the first thing you read that really resonated with you and you know, really affected you in a deep way? When I was growing up, I was a big reader. I always loved reading. I was the kind of girl who you would find curled up on a couch with a book while everyone else was playing outside. I grew up reading a lot of Indian authors in my mother tongue, Bengali. So people like Tagore were very important to me. But I always read them with this kind of reverence, and I never thought I would become a writer. So they were not, like, I wasn't even considering, oh, maybe one day I will write something like Tagore, that he was just way out there for me. But after I came to this country and I started reading multicultural American literature, especially women writers, I really felt a pull. I felt a connection. I felt, wow, their stories are not so different from mine, the ones I want to write. And that really, I think, gave me a big push towards writing. It gave me a lot of confidence. It gave me permission in some ways. So women like Maxine Hong Kingston with The Woman Warrior, or Amy Tan with The Joy Luck Club, Sandra Cisneros with her House on Mango Street, Toni Morrison with Sula and Beloved, uh, they just became, you know, my mentors. Those books became my teachers and my guides. And there were also wonderful Indian-American writers and Indian writers writing in English at that point, and I felt a lot closer to their work. So people like Amitav Kosh with the Ibis Trilogy or Anita Desai with Clear Light of Day, they were all big influences on me. Well, if you were... Uh, in a situation where you could not read any new work, and I know obviously you still love to read and you read all the time, but if you couldn't read any new work and you could only read three books that you've read in the past, but you could read these books as much as you want, I mean, you could study them and really pour over them, which three books would you choose? Okay, I would choose the Mahabharat, which is an ancient epic out of our Indian tradition. And actually, I've based a book written on that tale. I've retold that story in my novel, Palace of Illusions. I've retold it from a woman's point of view. But the original, the Mahabharata, is endlessly fascinating to me. It's this epic with thousands of stories in there and really memorable characters. It's one of the earliest things that I've read, you know, one of the earliest pieces of world literature that's anti-war because early world literature just glorifies war and hey, we still have that going today, but the Mahabharata doesn't. And so I would read the Mahabharata many, many times. Then I would move to a very different kind of book, uh, Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. I just love that book. That is one of my favorite love stories with really intelligent characters who are human, but there's like so many sides to them. And the third book, I think I'm really into 
fantasy as well, so I would choose The Lord of the Rings. And of course, that's a slightly cheating because that's three books in one. But I love the world he creates. I love the imagination. And I could read that book many times. Okay, well, conversely, is there a book that you have maybe tried to read several times and you haven't been able to get through it? I'm thinking of maybe like a book that we would all know um, that you would think that you would have read, but it just doesn't do it for you. You know, a book that I have tried to read many times is, it's the book Ulysses by James Joyce. It's like a classic of modern fiction, but you know, like 50 pages into it every time. <laughs> I just had to put it down. I don't know what it is, it is about that book. I like passages out of it, but maybe it's that very involved stream of consciousness style where we're just in this guy's head and we're in his head and we're in his head. I think that's the book that's defeated me. <laughs> Oh, what is your favorite book to teach? Oh, I, I love teaching so many different books. It's really hard. I love teaching Indian books because I want to expose my students to that. One of my favorite books to teach is actually Tagore's Home and the World. It's a, and I teach it as a companion piece to E.M. Foster's A Passage to India because they're about the same time in Indian history but because one is told in the point of view of the outsider looking in and the other is told as the insider looking out, they are so different. So it's wonderful to teach the two of them as a pair. Well, are there any new writers um, who are from India that you think we should know about and be reading in the U.S.? There's a writer I also teach called Aravind Adiga, and he has a wonderful book called The White Tiger. It's a thin little book, but it's quite, you know, I think it would make everyone sit up and take note because just the, just the narrator of this book, he, is, he has quite a different voice. He has quite an unusual voice, and he's the chauffeur in this very rich family and we don't want to give the story away, but hey, he does some bad things. And yet, he pulls us in with his voice. We really understand why he does the things he does. With Before We Visit the Goddess, like I said, after I finish reading the book, I always like to see what other people you know, are saying. I, I don't really care before I read it, but after I just, I'm just out of curiosity. And you know, I went everywhere from the professional reviewers to you know, just people who love to read, say on Goodreads. And a lot of people seem to not understand that these were, you know, I guess like linked stories. And I think that led to some confusion. Like some of the things they said about the book, I think was because they didn't understand that they were not, it was not just a you know regular novel. And I was interested when you were working with your publisher, was that a... I guess a conscious decision in the the marketing of it to not say, you know, these are linked stories, you know, to not, you know, like a, a olive, um, Kittredge, Kittredge or right. you know, this is how you lose her. Those are just two that came to my mind at first that you know linked story collections and 
they were marketed that way. But I noticed I didn't see anything from your publisher, you know, saying that, you know, that's what this is. Uh, that was a publishing decision that I did not completely agree with. In fact, I did not agree with it. I asked them to write a novel in stories on the cover because I really wanted that to be clear from the beginning so that the reader went into the book with that expectation. But then they pointed to Jennifer Egan's uh, Visit from the Goon Squad, which is also a novel in stories, and they're like, look, it doesn't say anything on there. So, you know, we have studied the market and we want it just out there. And whenever I have a chance to speak to interviewers, I point out that it is a novel in stories. But, um, but yes, I think it confused some of the regular readers because they were coming at it as a novel which just goes from one thing to another, to another, to another. But I didn't want to write that kind of novel. I wanted to write something that was, that moved fast, that moved rapidly and I, I hope excitingly from one high point to another. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the moving in time, I think we see that a lot. You know, I, I I didn't think that was, you know, would throw someone off to move, you know, back and forth in time because so many novels do that. Um, and, and, also, and also the chapters, I've marked them in terms of which year they're taking place. But I wanted to give readers hints of how we're moving. Yeah, I think that really grounded you, you know, where you were. I The only thing that I think maybe was confusing to some people is that, like, uh, when a character came in and then, like, um, Mrs. Meta, am I pronouncing yes, that right? Mrs. Mrs. Meta. And you thought, well, I would like to know what happened with Mrs. Meta, and then you don't see Mrs. Meta again. Mm -hmm. I don't know, maybe that was the only thing I think that people were a little like, oh, I, I want her to tell us more about her. <laughs> Okay. And I'm like, you know, um, that's how life is. People come into your life and they go out of it and you don't necessarily see them again, but they leave a lasting impact. That was the point of the book. Well, I know that this book just came out, I mean, just the spring, um, so it might be too early for this, but have you already started working on something new? I'm just putting together my ideas for a new book that's going to be set in India. And it's going to be set in an orphanage in India. It's going to be very different from my other work. And what are you reading right now? I've just read, started reading um, Elena Ferranti, and my beautiful friend, and just started it. So I can't say anything except her style is just wonderful. And that's what I've been reading. And I was rereading the Ibis trilogy because that's just so beautifully researched. Chitra Devakaruni, thank you so much for joining us today. It was a real pleasure to speak with you. You had such great questions. Oh, thank you. It was definitely my pleasure. Please go to our website, readmorepodcast.com, to find out how you can win one of two free signed copies of Before We Visit the Goddess. And you can read a free excerpt of the novel on Chitra's website, chitraduvakaruni.com. I will link to that on our website. You can also follow us on Twitter at Read More Podcast and like us on Facebook. Chitra is also very active on these channels, so please look for her there. And join us again in two weeks for another edition of the show that brings readers and writers together. 
Until then, I'm Marva Hinton, reminding you to read more. <laughs>